spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Well, aloha, and thank you so much for joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii on this Wednesday morning. I'm Yenji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei Suji. And Ryan, today we have a special guest joining us from the state capitol. Yeah, a special and familiar guest joining us this morning is Governor David Ige uh, to talk a little bit about some of the things that are happening here in the state. Good morning, Governor. Thanks so much for joining us again this morning. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Yenji. I really do appreciate this opportunity to talk with you and take questions from the general community. All right, so let's jump right in. I want to talk uh, specifically starting with COVID-19. We're seeing a continued uptick in the case counts that are being reported by the Department of Health, uh, the 10th straight week that we're seeing this increase. Your thoughts of where we are right now as a community in dealing with COVID-19? Yeah, certainly, Ryan. We are seeing a lot of uh, COVID cases in our community. So um, I think the CDC uh, placed all counties now into the red area and uh, I think that that's a concern. People need to be aware. Um, and, you know, we all know what works. Um, it is about um, wearing our masks, um, maintaining physical distance, and people should um, decide whether they want to take a risk of going into, you know, uh, uh, an event with a lot of uh, people. You know, we know that it's safer to be outdoors than indoors, and certainly um, different activities that are outdoors are, are safer than those that might be indoors. You know, the county mayors have been on this program. Those have had, that have been on this program have been asking for, you know, either respectful masking, I think some are calling it, or voluntary masking, essentially. But none have made the move to actually mandate masks. Given where the numbers are right now, is that a consideration that you're looking into? No, Yanji, we're not looking at mandating any um, activities or restrictions at this point in time. I, I think we are reminding uh, individuals that we know uh, what actions we can take to help slow the spread of COVID. You know, clearly if you're sick and for those who are vaccinated and boosted, uh, you know, if you get COVID, it'll be like uh, a cold. So it'll be very mild from what we saw in the early days of the pandemic but you still are infectious. And it's really important that you wear a mask, uh, get tested if you become symptomatic uh, and really ch uh, choose to isolate. One of the indicators that you said that you'll continue to monitor as we moved into the second phase of this pandemic has been the hospitalizations uh, and keeping in touch and, and, and on top of those numbers and tracking them. But what are we seeing with the hospitals and what are the communications like with those uh, representatives from the various healthcare providers? You know, Ryan, we continue to see a slow increase in the number of cases. Uh, you know, we are approaching 200 uh, COVID um, positive cases in the hospital. Just as a reminder, last summer when we saw the first Delta surge uh, or the Delta surge, you know, at one point in time, we had over 400 uh, COVID patients in the hospital. So it is uh, a concern, but it's not 
um, it's not like it was last summer. Um, what I'm hearing from many of the CEOs and um, the hospitals is that uh, just like in the rest of the community, we are seeing more and more healthcare professionals getting sick um, or being exposed and really not being able to uh, come into work. Um, and uh, as we continue to see uh, healthcare professionals get, getting sick, uh, it is becoming um, a strain on the hospitals. It's just the number of um, patients in the hospitals continue to be high. Uh, and the fact that we are seeing more uh, healthcare workers uh, get infected with COVID um, that, you know, puts them out for uh, several days to a week, depending on how severe the, the symptoms are. Uh, that is putting a strain on the hospitals that we see today. You know, on that note, George White has a question here. Hospitalizations hit 210 today, doubling the rate of approximately two weeks ago. They've flown in 200 personnel already on their dime. Are hospitals discussing emergency funding and staffing uh, with you in the coming months? It's an interesting question because when we did have uh, those nurses come in, when we've had other surges, the federal government has largely covered the tab for that. What are those conversations like? Because now the healthcare providers are having to foot the bill on this. Yeah, certainly. And, and one of the things that might not have been made so um, public, uh, when the federal government is paying for healthcare workers, they have to be dedicated to providing um, COVID care. Uh, you, and, you know, that can be a challenge in some of the healthcare settings, especially because we're not seeing the kind of cases that we saw in, in the past. Uh, and even though it's increasing, uh, the number uh, who are in the ICUs, which really do require intensive uh, care, uh, is not as high as it was in uh, previous surges. So, you know, we are in constant uh, discussion with the hospitals. We do know that they've um, brought in traveling uh, professionals to help support their workers. Uh, and as I said, we are seeing more uh, infected uh, healthcare workers infected with COVID, which is impacting staffing at the hospitals. Well, one area that continues to require masks has been our public schools. And of course, we are on summer break right now, but looking into the fall uh, when classes resume again, if we're seeing you know the numbers that we're seeing now and nothing really changes, <clears throat> excuse me, do you think that schools should continue to uh, enforce a mask uh, for children attending public schools? Yeah, Brian, one of the things that I keep emphasizing um, when it comes to masking in schools, uh, it's more than just um, the fact that masking helps uh, prevent the spread of COVID. Uh, if the children are wearing masks, then it really does uh, reduce the number who would be subject to isolation and quarantine if someone should get sick. Uh, and that they can return uh, to in-person learning a lot quicker if they're wearing masks. And the number of students who are impacted uh, is really reduced significantly. So um, the masking policy for our public schools is really focused on ensuring that our students can be in-person learning uh, for the maximum number of days. And, um, you know, so I do think that uh, if we see the number of cases continue um, as the school new school year uh, begins, I, I have a feeling that we will require masking indoors, especially. 
you know, is there a threshold? We, we've asked you this before, and I know that you're, um, you know, hesitant to actually lay out a number in terms of a line in the sand. But, you know, I know you're not considering it at the moment, but is there a point where you would consider bringing back indoor masking or gathering size restrictions or other mitigation measures that the state has implemented in the past? You know, Yanji, I think we will always be prepared to uh, take the action necessary to keep our community uh, safe and healthy. Uh, but, you know, today is very different than last summer, for example. Uh, you know, we uh, are above 75% of our community is fully vaccinated. And especially when you include those who uh, were infected by the virus, the overall immunity in our community is actually quite high. Um, so I don't anticipate um, reinstituting restrictions at this point in time. I do think that we need to focus on the things that we know work. You know, you have to stay home if you're sick. And, you know, I know and I've been guilty of it uh, when I'm working that we always um, try and tough it out, uh, thinking that we uh, need to be in work. Uh, but there are so many more options today. So if you're sick, uh, you have to stay home, get tested if you have COVID symptoms, uh, wear your mask indoors. And certainly I'm uh, strongly recommending to um, everyone that, that they should be wearing a mask indoors, especially if they're working with other people and you're not able to uh, provide uh, six feet of distance. Um, you know, uh, think about whether you want to go to events that um, are large crowds in indoor settings. Uh, certainly that increases the risk of uh, exposure to COVID and certainly uh, increases the risk of getting sick with COVID. I want to switch gears here as we talk about summer. Uh, we also talk about a lot of travelers that will be coming to our islands. There's predictions that uh, this summer could match, if not break or surpass what we saw back in 2019 before the pandemic with uh, the travelers that are coming to our islands. Uh, your thoughts about, you know, Hawaii's ability to welcome in these guests and not only welcome them in, but welcome them in safely uh, as we see these COVID numbers and where they're at, but just this influx of summer travel that is expected and the impact that it will have uh, on our communities. Um, so a couple of things, uh, you know, Ryan, we uh, definitely are implementing uh, the destination management action plans and uh, the whole notion that it's not just about more and more visitors, it's about being focused on the visitors that we'd like to invite. Um, I can tell you on my trip to Japan, um, uh, the Japanese partners, uh, the airlines, the tour companies uh, really uh, is embracing the Malama Hawaii uh, notion they are looking at and we've provided uh, videos to all of our partners that they can use uh, in their uh, promotions as well as um, in-flight uh, education, uh, talking about protecting our environment and being uh, mindful visitors. Uh, so we continue to focus on that message. You know, that's one of the reasons I said it's really important that um, it, Hawaii Tourism Authority is funded because they are uh, connected to our travel partners and uh, they've done a terrific job of saying that we want it to be different. We want to uh, pursue visitors that are mindful. We want uh, visitors who can be respectful and, um, and help us uh, manage the health situation. Um, and we are um, seeing that um, our partners are really being creative in um, 
finding solutions that can keep travelers uh, healthy and safe even when they visit the island. You know, since the last time we talked, uh, there was that horrific shooting in Texas that left 19 children and two teachers dead in their classrooms. Um, you know, the, the whole nation has been reeling from that horrific tragedy. I'm interested in to get your thoughts. Do you think that the Hawaii Department of Education should create a specific policy uh, regarding school shooters at active shooter scenarios to prepare students and teachers? The head of the Board of Education has said that it's time to consider one. What are your thoughts on that? You know, Yanji, we do have um, emergency plans uh, in place for the department. Yeah, I, I do know that they evaluate and review and make uh, updates um, on a regular basis. Um, we run drills in all of the schools every year on emergency situations and uh, lockdowns uh, within schools. It's not specific and only to an active uh, shooter scenario, but it is consistent with what we would do uh, should there be an active shooter situation. So, you know, I think that um, we are all uh, examining and re-examining what we do to keep our children safe in school. Um, I think this tragedy is horrific and I just cannot imagine uh, if this actually happened in Hawaii, it uh, would be hard for the school, hard for the community uh, to really deal with um, so many students, their lives uh, shattered and, um, uh, you know, and I can't imagine everyone on that campus, um, their entire life is changed by this um, incident. So. Uh, we are looking at what we can do to, to improve our readiness uh, for that. Uh, and I think our current um, policies that um, prepares us for emergency situations, um, I think is a good one. And we always need to be looking at uh, how we can make it better. You know, on the same subject, we are getting some comments here, uh, nothing specific, but a, a lot of just general comments about the crime rates. We also have seen shootings here uh, on the island of Oahu over the last few weeks. Uh, and, and of course, an increase in crime. We know that that is, of course, a purview of HPD as well as the mayor. But as a leader of the state, I wanted to get your thoughts on what we are seeing with this increased crime and, and what you think about what's happening here in our community with some of these acts like shooting. You know, I think it's uh, certainly a concern for everyone, Ryan. We are seeing um, a more violent crime, I think. And uh, I think during the COVID uh, situation, we um, saw a reduction uh, in activities just because there were fewer people out and about in our community. Um, so I think it's a concern for all of us. Um, you know, I've had discussions and talking with community leaders about uh, their we've made um, significant efforts in the past to really look at community policing, um, you know, engaging uh, our community to identify those areas that are uh, dangerous, um, try and inform our partners. Uh, so I think we need to um, re-engage all of those kinds of activities to uh, make sure we can engage our community. Uh, identify areas that might not be as safe as others and really look at how we can work as a community uh, to reduce uh, the violent uh, crime, criminal activity that we're seeing uh, and how we can do a better job of trying to diffuse it before it results in uh, physical 
um, and gun violence. You know, on the subject of HPD, I'd love to get your reaction to Joe Logan being chosen as the new chief, given that he was part of your cabinet at one point. What are you? What are your thoughts on this new hire? Yeah, thanks, uh, Yanji. I did uh, call him to congratulate him uh, on his uh, selection as police chief, and I know that people have asked me about you know uh, his son. I was not aware, and he um, never mentioned. I I never saw it. Uh, impacting his performance as uh, adjutant general, and I really don't see how it would uh, impact his performance as police chief. Um, but I do wish him well. I, I think we all see how important um, the police are in our communities. We do see how uh, community policing uh, is really a an important part of uh, trying to reduce um, crime and especially violent crime. Uh, you know, it is something that we all have to work together on. Um, you know, Brian, as you had said, we it is concerning and it will take all of us, um, you know, thinking about how we can reduce um, violent crime in our community. I want to circle back to something that you had mentioned, and that is your trip to Japan. We haven't had a chance to talk to you since that trip and wanted to get uh, some of the highlights that happened there. And, and when you think realistically we'll be again to see uh, that Japanese market and those Japanese visitors returning uh, at a level where we once saw before the pandemic? So, you know, Ryan, the, it's really interesting. Um, and I know that you've traveled to Japan as well. Uh, they're very um, structured and um, and disciplined. Uh, and they do have a plan. They, um, you know, Japan is being very methodical. Um, I do know that starting uh, today, I believe, they've uh, dropped the post-arrival testing requirement. So uh, I do know that uh, we stood in line for two hours when we went to Japan because we had to take a PCR test and we couldn't leave uh, the airport until the pet, uh, we got the negative test results um, to allow us to, um, to leave. Uh, my understanding is starting today, they're dropping that requirement for uh, incoming travelers. Uh, they are also increasing from 10,000 per day to 20,000 per day uh, entries uh, into Japan. And for leisure travels, they are definitely focused on package tours. So, you know, for anyone wanting to uh, go to Japan, I certainly would uh, go to your travel agent and see uh, what package um, tours might be available. Um, they are going to be slowly increasing, and I do know that Hawaii will get more than our fair share of uh, Japanese uh, visitors. Um, we do expect that they'll increase the numbers that they allow to travel into Japan. Uh, I think uh, you all have heard uh, ANA is uh, restarting their uh, whole new service with the Airbus uh, 380s uh, starting July 1st. Uh, and Ryan, as a, a big island person at heart, um, we do expect Japan Airlines uh, starting a service to Kona International Airport uh, beginning August 1st. And that really, you know, allows us, we've talked about um, not just going for more tourists, but going for quality tourists. I think everyone agrees that the visitor from Japan is uh, who we want to uh, focus on, you know, they're very respectful in, to the environment and to native culture. 
Uh, and they also um, want to engage in authentic activities. You know, they do spend money in tours. Um, they go to attractions. Um, you know, they are the kind of uh, economic activity for visitors uh, that we want to focus on. I'm interested because before you left, you said that you'd be asking for some kind of special accommodation for Hawaii. I know that, you know, we had done very well in keeping our COVID rates very low. But if you look at the New York Times dashboard, I don't know if we're number one today in growing case counts, but, you know, we've been right at the top in recent weeks. So how do you make that pitch that Hawaii is a safe place, given our percentages at the moment? What, what have those conversations been like when what were those conversations like rather when you were in Japan? You know, I think we focus on a couple of things, Janji, and I, I did say um, because we've seen how strict Japan has been uh, in regards to COVID, uh, I did tell them that I was the strictest governor in the country, uh, and certainly we've had the lowest infection rates uh, in the country for um, um, most of the pandemic. Uh, I am concerned, Janji, and yes, Hawaii for the first time during this pandemic uh, had the highest per capita of virus counts uh, in the country for a few days. And uh, that is uh, concerning. You know, I, I think we have a very good uh, relationship with Japan. Uh, we are working and ensuring that they, uh, a Japanese visitor will be able to get uh, health services if they need to, whether it be testing or um, uh, treatment for uh, coronavirus. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really heartwarming to see the uh, visitor industry in Japan. Uh, one of the tour companies actually is including as part of their tour packages to Hawaii um, an insurance kind of program so that if someone should get sick while they're visiting um, Hawaii, um, the tour company will be covering the cost of uh, isolation and quarantine. Um, and they are uh, making arrangements to ensure that they can get healthcare. Uh, so I think that those are the kinds of things that happen because we have personal relationships with many of the companies that do business in Hawaii. You know, there's not gonna be an explicit set aside or different treatment for Hawaii, but I can assure you that on every uh, tour company and every airline in Hawaii, um, the, the routes to Hawaii and the tours uh, to Hawaii uh, is uh, a priority. Um, they know that the Japanese um, residents um, want to travel to Hawaii as their highest priority. Want to switch gears and ask about some of the bills that sit before your desk right now. We know that you are in the process of reviewing a, a number of them and deciding whether or not you want to put them on your intent to veto list. Uh, but specifically, I want to ask you, and I know you, you probably won't tell us, but I uh, <laughs> wanted to ask you about uh, you know a bill that you know, would change the way a governor is allowed to use uh, his or her emergency powers in an emergency situation. The legislature has uh, put together and passed a bill that could uh, limit that and could call back some of the orders that a governor makes. Uh, obviously, this won't impact you, but uh, your thoughts about this bill uh, as it sits before you? You know, I do appreciate, and we've worked um, very closely with the legislative chairs that um, were uh, working on this measure, um, Ryan. We emphasize that, uh, you know, if you just take, for example, this whole COVID pandemic, I don't think anyone could have anticipated all of the emergency actions that we needed to take. You know, it was a brand new disease. 
Well, we uh, didn't know whether there would be vaccinations. Uh, we knew that we had to institute a quarantine. Uh, but it's really hard to predict what authority a governor would have. So we've been uh, stressing with the legislature that if you tie the chief executive's hands, it will only make an emergency situation worse, not better. Um, I think if you look uh, over the past um, uh, years, and especially during my term, I don't think you can really point to abuses of um, executive authority by a mayor or a governor. I think for the most part, we have been responsible. Uh, and because I think that uh, emergencies is an all of government kind of response, um, you know, I've included the mayors in uh, discussions and decision making. You know, I think that, um, you know, what I've heard from emergency responders, especially at the federal level who come into Hawaii, they are always amazed at how much uh, collaboration and cooperation they see between uh, federal, uh, state, and county uh, responders. Uh, and I do think that that is something that makes Hawaii better. Uh, and I do think that um, the changes that the legislature uh, proposes, I think has been um, responsible. Uh, I, I've expressed concern that um, it's impossible to uh, know what authority a governor will need and, um, and you want the chief executive or the mayor to be able to um, take action to save lives. So I'm taking that as a yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably. Um, we're, we're okay with that measure. Uh, and I, I want to ask you about Senate Bill 2510, and I know you probably don't want to get into each bill specifically, but this one has gotten a lot of press. This is a controversial energy bill that would mandate that there will be certain, uh, you know, ratios of energy coming from different renewables coming from different uh, sources. Uh, what are your thoughts on that bill specifically? Have you made a decision? No, Yanji, I haven't made a decision, but thanks for trying. But I will say this, you know, we, um, we, we've gone through it. I've talked with many. Uh, probably we've had more calls about that bill than, um, than any other bill, except maybe the, the um, bail bond changes. Um, and certainly I'm trying to understand how it passed the legislature. You know, I, I haven't been able to find any positive in um, Senate Bill 2510. Um, you know, we will continue to evaluate. I'm, I'm meeting with the agencies uh, in the next day or so. Um, but I'm still trying to understand how very, very high majorities of both the House and Senate members uh, voted to pass this measure. You know, it's, um, it's sometimes hard to understand uh, what the legislature had seen in this proposal. You know, as our time wraps up, not only today, but with you as a whole, uh, as governor, one of the things that, uh, you know, we'd like to do in these remaining times that we have with you is ask you some more personal questions as you reflect back uh, today as we end. I just wanted to get an idea of what is something that uh, you haven't been able to do over the past eight years as governor that you look forward to returning to do as a normal citizen maybe something that you weren't allowed to do or something that maybe you <laughs> scaled back on because of your duties uh, but what is something that you look forward to returning to after your time uh, as governor you know ryan i do really look forward to traveling and just you know it's hard to travel um, when you're governor because 
you know, two things. If there's an emergency, you really want to be able to respond. And it's, it's hard to really relax because something is always on your mind. So I do uh, look to travel uh, more than we have. Uh, you know, we've wanted to, Don and I have wanted to travel to Europe, and we haven't been able to do that. Um, you know, there are many places in the U.S. that we um, have talked about traveling to, but uh, haven't been able to. So, I mean, I do think that that's the one thing that um, uh, I'm and Don's really looking forward to, being able to travel, not have to worry that we have to get back to the state um, within that time frame being able to travel uh, anytime during the year so we can uh, go and uh, be at places that people suggest uh, is a pleasant time to be there. And then not uh, have to be so concerned about, you know, being um, on vacation for a day or two days, but actually being able to think about uh, spending a week or two weeks even in some of these areas to really explore it and, uh, and experience it and enjoy it. Uh, in a way that uh, it's just not, every time I travel is a business trip, you know, and uh, being able to travel um, to enjoy it is would be a very, very different experience. I, I thought you were actually going to say driving a car, uh, which is a form <laughs> of traveling, I guess. Uh. Well, I certainly will look forward to that. Um, my kids said I shouldn't, but, um, but I did anyway. So uh, especially uh, when we traveled on vacation. Well, thank right, you, well, Governor. We appreciate uh, the time this morning and getting caught up on some of the subjects and topics that are front of mind for many here in the state, as well as just getting an update about some of the plans that you have uh, post uh, your office here as Governor. But we always appreciate you spending time with us, uh, and uh, we look forward to our next conversation. Uh, absolutely. Thanks, Yanji. Thanks, Thanks Aloha. Ryan. Aloha, everyone. Aloha. Great to hear from the governor, as always. Uh, we did start off at the top, if you missed it, talking about the rising uh, case counts, uh, you know, the 10th straight, re 10th straight week of increases when it comes to COVID-19 in the state. The governor did say that it concerns him. And he, like the other leaders that we've spoken to on this program, is asking people to voluntarily mask indoors. And if you don't feel like you should attend a large gathering, then please don't if it's not, you know, if your personal comfort level is not there. And also encouraging people to stay home if they feel sick. All that said, uh, he is tracking hospitalizations, but says at this point he is not considering any kind of mandates for mitigation measures with COVID. Yeah, it doesn't look like we will be seeing uh, any of those types of announcements coming anytime soon. Uh, but the governor also saying that they recognize uh, the numbers and where we're at right now, spe specifically as it relates to what could be, we could we could potentially see uh, with our schools. Of course, schools continuing to have that mask mandate, and if cases and numbers continue the way that they are in the fall after this summer break, that we could continue to see uh, schools requiring that mask for children in the classroom. Yeah, you heard from him on the explanation about that. I, again, citing that uh, time away from the classroom is harmful for children, even if they are in quarantine or isolation. And so finding ways to mitigate that process to remove them from the classroom for any period of time is something that they want to try to do, be it through masks or otherwise. Uh, we also got an update on the predictions of what's happening with tourism, saying uh, that he's confident that the Hawaii Tourism Authority, as well as those uh, travel officials, uh, are doing their part in helping to spread the mes message about how to be a more responsible traveler 
uh, as we see as these numbers will continue to rise with summer travelers. Yeah, and he talked specifically about Japan and mentioned some airlines that are restarting their routes, one to Kona and another uh, here to Honolulu, and that will bring a significant amount of visitors to the islands, uh, visitors that many in the state have been hoping would return quickly. Uh, and then we also did talk about school safety when it comes to mass shootings and uh, whether or not the DOE should have a specific active shooter scenario training for students and teachers. He said that they are revo reviewing that and trying to figure out if that is necessary or if the current uh, emergency drills that are in place right now are sufficient. Uh, talked a little bit about Joe Logan, the new uh, HPD chief who will be coming in and some of the issues that he's had with his son that have been making some headlines. He said that when uh, Joe Logan was part of his cabinet, the issue never came up, that he had actually called uh, Mr. Logan personally to congratulate him on the selection and that he is hoping that he will be a very successful chief. But also recognizing that there is an uptick in crime and saying that that continues to be something that uh, is worrisome for the governor and that's something that they will continue to look at monitoring and finding ways that the community can be more involved in the process uh, as we continue to see some of these numbers increase in crime around our communities. We also heard from him that he is considering uh, those measures that sit in front of him as the legislature have passed a, a bunch of bills. Again, the governor will put forth a intent to veto list. That does not mean that he will actually veto it, but he kind of puts together those bills that will be under further review. Uh, we have yet to see that list. That is expected to come out uh, in, soon in the next few weeks or so. Uh, and once we get that list, we'll be able to see and get a better glimpse of what the governor thinks about some of these specific bills that many have been calling on to be vetoed uh, as they pass through the legislature. Yeah, so we covered a lot of ground. If you missed any of it, remember, you can always catch this as a podcast later this afternoon. Listen on your own time or watch the rebroadcast on Channel 50 KKI. Uh, that airs in the evening and in the morning. Uh, on Friday, we're going to be talking to Patrick Bronco. He's a state representative from the Windward side who has now thrown his hat in the ring to replace Kai Kahele uh, as, he, as he pursues the office of governor. Uh, Mr. Bronco wants to head to Congress, and so we're going to be talking to him about why he is uh, pursuing that seat. We look forward to that conversation. We thank you for being a part of our show today. We'll see you right back here on Friday for another episode of Spotlight Hawaii. Until then, stay safe and aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs.